Welcome back to Safe Talk with Safe Start. I'm your host, Tim Page Botterf, and our guest today is Keith Carpenter. Keith has been delivering and consulting on safety learning technologies to corporations, universities, and insurance companies for a little bit more than 20 years before joining our Safe Start consulting team. Well before e-learning became popular, he also provided knowledge transfer solutions through virtual classrooms, which kind of is handy now, isn't it, Keith? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's also done interactive CD-ROM programs and digital video on demand, as well as in the traditional classroom setting. Keith's experience with industrial training is concentrated in mechanical and electrical maintenance, in addition to compliance training. He's easily one of our most in-demand consultants. Keith, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Up until a couple of months ago, I never even had time to even listen to a podcast. And uh, I've listened to about 12 of yours over the last couple of months. And uh, they're very interesting. So I really appreciate you inviting me. Thanks. Yeah, I really appreciate you being here. We were just commiserating for our listeners on some boat activities that both of us have. And um, some of our stories fit right into the critical decision units. And the reason why we've asked Keith here is just for that reason, the critical decision units. Um, they follow the five core Safe Start units, and Keith, these units, they're not often referred to as EAUs. Sometimes people call them extended application units, but they are not review units. No, no. Actually, we do have a review unit. We'll talk about that at the tail end of it. But no, the, the EAUs are actually extensions of the core learnings that you've learned throughout the first five units, which we traditionally call the core units. So these actually do focus more as what we call critical decisions. So they build on, like I said, the core, not a refresher. Now the states that we talk about in the core, the first five units, um, they, we actually talk about how they cause us to make errors. You don't th think about things, you don't look at things, and they can cause us to get hurt. But those same states that we talk about also cause us to make bad decisions in certain in certain cases. And the beauty about the uh, our critical decisions is not only do they apply to safety, but you can also extend their use into production, quality, customer care, retention. And uh, there's a total of six of them in all. And Larry literally extended the application of the core Safe Start concepts. So that's why Larry called them the, the extended application units. You take the extended application or the units that you've learned in the, in the core units, and you extend those concepts, specifically the critical error reduction techniques. And what you end up getting is you get assistance in making better decisions, which, as you already know, Keith, could have helped me out at the boat ramp this past weekend. Nevertheless, right. I, I, <laughs> I, recall, I recall Larry uh, years ago saying, do you want all the performance gold on the table or just some of it? I'll continue the analogy if we're going to mine all the gold out of human factors performance. Uh, these critical decision units are, well, they're critical. To reiterate, these are not review units, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But these units extend the application of the Safe Start concepts into additional areas that can get us hurt or waste a lot of time and money. Now, the first of these is using critical error reduction techniques to prevent sprains and strains. The other host, uh, my partner Danny Smith and our own Dr. Robert Cannon, you know both well, did an excellent podcast on that last month. So we're not gonna spend any time on that today. If you hadn't had a chance to listen, you owe it to yourself to back up and check that out. And that along with the podcast they did titled, Sitting is the New Smoking. So Keith, walk us through the next unit, uh, which is pertinent to this past weekend, Mind on Task, Safety Systems, and Recognizing Change. 
Okay. So uh, as you and I both know, this particular unit you could use literally every day, including the weekends. So the brain is not a fail-safe device, right? And unfortunately, the older that we get and the better that we get at doing an activity and our kinesthetic skills get better, unfortunately, it doesn't mean that we're going to remember everything. And uh, this unit really focuses on that. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the age is, but uh, I've never really had a great memory. But uh, I can see now it's uh, really, really being affected. And I have to use technology and reminders on my phone to remind me of certain things. But um, not only do we talk about the brain not being fail-safe in this unit, but we also talk about how changes in our environment can also uh, affect affect us in our decisions. And they could be not just literal changes like the sunshine, the rain, things that you can feel, but they could be as simple as an interruption in work. You're busy, you're doing something, and a coworker asks you to lend them a hand, or there's a particular task may involve a number of subtasks, and sometimes those subtasks may get obviously mold through. So th those states can also affect our decisions to bypass certain systems that we normally use. Um, and, and creating systems, a, a lot of people kind of get tied up and, and think of systems as some elaborate system that you have to put in place. And it's, it's not that. It could be something very simple. Um, Post-it notes, you know, I'm not very good at tying a, a bow on my finger or a reminder, a piece of string on my finger, but it could be something as simple as uh, putting a bottle of water next to the door. Um, I used this yesterday. My daughter was on her way to work, and about 20 minutes before work, she asked me to remind her to bring water to work. And, uh, of course, I told her I would. And as I'm sitting there typing away on my computer, I realized there's a big chance that I may forget that. So, simple enough, I just went and grabbed a bottle of water, set it by the door. So, the, that, and that was my system. And they can be very, very simple, as simple as a piece of tape. That's good. So systems set up uh, an opportunity for you to try to remember. Um, and a lot of people try to avoid frustration by putting their keys something somewhere similar um, to where they can remember where they put them because of obviously they dealt with frustration in the past. Um, I, I have to let the listeners off the hook. Uh, this weekend, this past weekend anyways, back in the boat up and I forgot to remove the straps and put the plug in the boat. Um, Anyway, simple system like maybe a post-it note or checklist, those kinds of things do help out. And that's exactly what Keith uh, was reminding of us here. I have to say, I never thought this would happen to me. And from a reliance perspective, I thought I was really good at this kind of stuff. But it was the, <laughs> the boat pulling the, my, my truck almost into the, to the, in, into the lake. And um, that got avoided because the straps ripped like they were supposed to. Um, nevertheless, I got off, got lucky, just had to buy new straps, $20 worth. And, um, hopefully that'll never happen again, but I will be setting up a system for that. Now, Keith, I've talked to other consultants, you as well. This has got to be an holistic approach. Anyways, this has got to be their favorite critical decision units to teach. It's mine too. Um, because Bye. the concepts <laughs> by far, I, yeah, I agree by, by the concepts are, they're used throughout each day and personally have saved me untold amounts of money and time, let alone injuries. So next up is deliberate risk and error. And this unit has always fascinated me. Larry explains why we take risks when we know we shouldn't. What about you, Keith? Well, no, absolutely. You know, you, you, you have sometimes that uh, safety angel on one shoulder and the daredevil on the other shoulder. And we know which one is uh, more fun to listen to. But uh, I, can argue, I would argue that you can listen to both. You can still have fun and still do it in a safe manner. And 
sometimes we do take deliberate risks. And when we get into this particular unit, it kind of talks about why we do take deliberate risks. You know, the, uh, the texting and reading while driving, you know, I think that one is uh, over talked about, but I, it, it is detrimental. It's, it's, a, it's become, you know, an, an, an epidemic all in itself. Um, eating while driving, this one always, uh, I find it's always funny because it always reminds me of a story you told me about eight years ago about uh, you and your wife and family out on a road trip and uh, you guys stop over to a, uh, a fast food restaurant, you grab some tacos, burritos, and uh, as you're driving through the parking lot, wife tries handing you a burrito and you say no hold on Sheila why don't you wait let me wait till I get up to the speed limit on the highway then you can hand me that burrito which I always thought is is kind of funny because we can all I think we can most of us can relate to that <laughs> yeah <laughs> thanks for pointing that out I appreciate it <laughs> yeah I'm sure you've used that story many times since then but also you know typing addresses you know your GPS unfortunately these these car manufacturers aren't doing us a whole lot of favors when it comes to all the technology at our disposals while we're doing one of the most dangerous things that we'll do consistently the rest of our lives, um, standing on top of a ladder um, at home. I, I'm, I'm surprised at how many stories during our table group discussions that safety professionals will openly admit in front of their peers that, yeah, that's something that they have violated themselves at home, but uh, that's obviously not a step to be used. But we, we talk into the, you know, why we take those types of deliberate risks. But also uh, talk about the states and how they impact deliberate risk, especially when we get hurt or almost get hurt. Compromising a rule, a procedure, a standard, because one of those four states, and we, we've heard it you know, throughout our lives, it, uh, you know, when the exception becomes the norm, you're just going to do it this one time. And uh, the one of the worst things that can happen to you when you do that exception is nothing because unfortunately it reinforces that bad behavior so it makes it more tempting to do it over and over again when the next thing you know you you're doing it uh, by reflex it's it's something you do subconsciously and we're trying to recognize those and steer away from those and then when and why it's more tempting to take shortcuts especially at the, the end of the day the end of the job uh, the last day before a vacation or a long holiday so we got to just kind of come back to asking ourselves, um, not saying we're going to do it or not do it, but just ask ourselves, does that state justify the risk or the potential consequences? And obviously what we do after that is, is a decision and it's a critical decision. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, just a couple of things I just want to reiterate that you've said. And so our listeners capture, especially if they're taking notes, um, there are things that we do. We take shortcuts and something that always comes back to me is, the stories that I hear, the stories that you hear, um, the, the most frequent shortcut that people take is the wrong tool for the job. So instead of going back to get another, the, the correct tool, they use something that's well, quite right, right there in front of them, say like a crescent wrench instead of the actual sized wrench that they need. And that, uh, that, that comes out clearly. So thanks for bringing that up. So the next unit is actually a completion of unit uh, three or critical decisions unit number three. And that is risk, error, and redundancy. Now, as a safety professional or even a certified safety professional, I find this unit of particular interest. Uh, we as safety professionals place all of these controls to prevent injuries to only see someone bypassing them. So what do you think about that one? Well, I think the, the big answer to that one is really perception. Um, some employees think that there are already too many controls and too much PPE, and there's, there's a lot of redundancy. And uh, redundancy has received a pretty bad reputation over the years. Uh, a friend of ours 
once called it the, the department of the redundancy department. <laughs> but in actuality, safety redundancy is a great thing. So yeah. the first thing we have to do is, is change the perception on redundancy. And, and for those who have uh, benefited from wearing those steel toe shoes when something heavy has fallen on them, um, they don't really perceive that as being redundant after that's happened. Um, but we don't want to have to go back to having the negative consequence to, to, to go back on. So we want to be more proactive in that. So we, we talk about deciding not to self-trigger when you know that you should. You know, you know you're in a rush. You know you're frustrated. And you don't slow down. You don't you know, step back for a minute, take that breath. Um, that's not a skill. That, 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 at that point, is a decision, right? Um, deciding not to use a device or a procedure that would limit the risk of something unexpected happens, like fall protection. And uh, we, all, we also try to focus on you know, what kind of safety-related habit would help to prevent these kinds of injuries in the future. And for everybody, it's different, right? Because everybody has different things that they do, not just at work, but, but off the job as well. We're, we're hoping people are taking this, you know, the, the, the habit of wearing PPE so you feel more comfortable than without it, just like the seatbelt. Um, yeah. I was probably one of the, the, the worst at wearing seatbelts when it first was introduced into law, and now I feel naked without it. And that is very interesting, especially when you're in the classes and you ask people how many people have, uh, how many people drove to work and usually have around 100% of the hands that, that are up. And I'll ask again, how many people have uh, wore their seatbelt to work? And again, you'll see usually the same amount of hands. Even if they didn't wear the seatbelt, they, they still raised their hand. But the interesting one, when I asked them, how many people actually remember taking that seatbelt from that top left corner, swinging it down and clicking it into that? that clicker hand, uh, you'd be surprised. Not very many hands go up. You know, we did it. We know that we did it. We just don't really remember doing it because that has now become a subconscious habit that we do. And now I feel naked without wearing that seatbelt. I don't know about you, but I definitely do. And complacency plays a major role in these decisions. Agreed. Um, something that could uh, people could relate to a couple of points that you've just, you just mentioned. Um, right now, COVID-19, putting people into a different situation. And I've gone to several meetings already and it just I've left the the meeting space without my mask and I just uh, didn't feel right so I you know turn around quickly go back um, that's one thing and then also uh, I've been dealing with a, a customer who has a lot of machine guarding issues and uh, machine guards get removed and either forgotten or and I've narrowed it down to not necessarily forgotten but some people have willingly admitted that they leave it off because it just hinders their performance so those are the kind of things we're talking about in redundancy. So great for bringing those up and I appreciate those points that you, you talked about there. So I, I have to tell you, this next unit took me by surprise and I'm gonna say it to everybody that I really believe that critical uh, decisions unit number five, anticipating error is a culmination of what Safe Start is all about. I mean, I really enjoy the next unit and it's a chance to turn our Safe Start skills into Jedi skills. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> I was wondering when it was going to take, how long is it going to take you to uh, squeeze in a Star Wars reference? <laughs> for, for the listeners out there who don't know, Tim is probably the biggest Star Wars fan out there in the solar system, literally. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I follow you. It's, it's uh, you know, I think as we go through the, the first five core units, we subconsciously start to anticipate air a little bit more without even recognizing it, but this unit really drives it home. It really kind of, kind of, kind of brings it to a different level when we start thinking about it. And you know, perhaps more importantly, it, we, we focus on how these states can blind us from errors that uh, we should have anticipated. You know, we talked about pre-states in unit four, 
and, uh, you know, being complacent enough to ignore those internal warning signs that we sometimes get, uh, that gut reaction. And how many times have you heard the stories where I, I knew something bad was going to happen and for whatever reason, we, we do it anyway. Um, this unit also talks about uh, being complacent enough not to check critical pieces of equipment that hardly ever fail. Um, this, when my daughter turned 15 years old, I, 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 my preventative maintenance went up on my personal vehicle just because I was worried about my daughter on, in her car. But then I started thinking about it. You know, when was the last time I checked the tire pressure in my vehicle and not just relying on the technology that sometimes fails? And so uh, her turning 16 a few years ago helped me step up my, my, or recognize my complacency in my own personal vehicle as well. I always worry about my, my wife and my daughter's vehicle, but I should be worried about mine as well. And, and we already mentioned, you know, the, the concept of pre-states and, you know, we, we, we already know that the, the mother laws coming in town, you know, and remember the, what happened the last time was there. And when my mother-in-law comes in town, it's a little bit different. My mother-in-law is great. We get along excellent, but my wife turns into a different person. There's food in the refrigerator I can't eat. There's towels I can't use. There's soaps that I can't use. And uh, <laughs> so my, my frustration level is a little bit different than most people's in-laws coming in town. But nevertheless, I got to pre-check or check myself. And if I can rate my state before I get to that point, I'm able to trigger a little bit quicker and a little bit easier than uh, if I just don't think about it at all. So this one, we really focus on that. We kind of bring back into the, we talk a little bit more about the pre-states. Yeah, the pre-state that you're mentioning is in the core units of unit number four. So thanks for bringing that up. And then also and, and, when you... And, and don't well, mean to interrupt you, Tim, but when you think about that, that is kind of a meta Jedi mind trick, isn't it? <laughs> crazy, dude. <laughs> thanks for that, Keith. I appreciate that. Yeah, Jedi mind trick. When and where are you going to make the next mistake? Have you ever asked that self, <laughs> ask yourself that question? Um, right. So yeah, use a Jedi mind trick to help you maybe avoid injuries, but that's, you know, quite literally anticipating that you're going to make a mistake at a very specific time that you think you might. Um, also, the, the, the second point you brought up about critical pieces of equipment, it's really easy to implement a pre-checklist uh, for any type of equipment, like forklifts. And when people are on their forklift, every shift, they're supposed to do an inspection. But I can't tell you how many times I've looked at an inspection book and I've seen a straight line down all the check boxes. And I guess the terminology would be pencil whipping. Pencil whipping, yeah. And you'll see a lot of people doing that because after a period of time with nothing ever failing, man, they, they really don't check it. Same thing with you with your car. Um, you know, when we travel a lot, we're, we're looking at our rental cars with almost a fine-tooth comb. But when we get home, right, right in that parking right. structure, it's just like I'm in my car, I'm going home, I don't care. Right. Anyway, so that's exactly the point. So thanks for bringing it up. That was a great point. Now, <laughs> since you're bringing up Jedi stuff, <laughs> stick with me, Padawan. <laughs> I've got plenty of mind tricks to teach you. Anyway, back to work. Uh, the last of the units explore other states and other people. Keith? Yeah, so we talk about complacency and the other guy in some other states. And if, of course, the rushing, the frustration, the fatigue and complacency are, are overwhelming. But that doesn't mean there aren't other states that we want to focus on. And uh, so we, we, we talk about a couple of other states in there, the, the extreme joy, the extreme sorrow, the panic. And um, while, we're, while we, we're not in those states every day, they're definitely worth mentioning. And 
think with complacency, there's a direct correlation of mind not on task. And for me personally, this extreme joy and extreme sorrow, um, especially the sorrow, it's just a, such an emotional state that you know, I can automatically expect my mind's not going to be on task and uh, just from experience. So those are very emotional states. And, we, and Larry also extends the third critical air reduction technique, which is the uh, looking at others for risk patterns. You know, we, we, we look at those so we can identify risk patterns, but you can also use that to prevent being hurt by other people that you know are in those risk patterns. So they kind of bring us back into the game, you know, which is our, the first experience that we have with it. It kind of brings us back into the moment, but we can also extend the use of that, be looking out for people that aren't paying attention to us um, just because, you know, everybody's supposed to turn backwards while they're backing the forklift up. We still might want to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, there may be some patterns that we can look out for so we don't get hurt regardless of whose fault it is. It's irrelevant at that point. And we talk about why it's difficult to trigger on these states. Um, and one of the things that we talk about in here, which is uh, intervention can be difficult. You know, it's uh, easier to intervene with people that you know, maybe not so much with people that you don't know. But it's difficult for some people to self-trigger on these states, especially when you're in those states. Um, but when you see other people in those states, it gives us an opportunity that we may be able to intervene on their behalf. And the challenge with this, I think, is um, not necessarily what's being said to individuals that may be giving them a, a bad taste in their mouth, if you will. It's usually how it's being said. So tact and demeanor really need to be, to, we need to be aware of that as we're, as we're giving that, that particular feedback. And we, when we go through Safe Start, we all start using the same language, the same vernacular, the same vocabulary. So it becomes less judgmental and we take it less personal as we're all using the same language. And we can, we explore that a little bit more when we get into this, this particular EAU. And uh, it's perceived to be a little bit more of a positive intervention or a positive discussion than it would be without having that common vocabulary. I was just get ready to say, I, ha I absolutely agree. So if everybody's talking with the same communication strategies, then the judgment part goes away. But I have to tell you, not to get to you know political on this kind of a podcast, but we could all use a little bit less judgment. And yes. in that regard, I always want to come back to a point that you brought up and explaining that, you know, Larry, even back in core unit number four jokes, you know, that extreme joy state you were talking about. That's <laughs> what's killing us here. <laughs> and you know what? He, he's found some people that have told stories about extreme joy. So it's not necessarily that uncommon. Um, nope. All right. So we, we've got one last area to address. And I promised at the top of the podcast that we would actually talk about it. Um, so the review unit, re review unit we've created for those who feel they need it. So there is a review unit, and after Larry spent, I don't know how long, it's been a while, but after about a quarter million people went through this, the first generation of Safe Start, that is, um, he noticed that there are two reoccurring problems, and they seem to be pretty consistent. The first one, in, and not only, I, I can recognize these as myself as well, but not self-triggering enough or not self-triggering quick enough. So we need a little bit more self-triggering in that area. For me, it's frustration. I wish I could tell you that I've successfully self-triggered on frustration, but uh, you know, my wife would definitely disagree if I said that. But not putting enough effort into a habit that uh, you realize that you personally identified yourself that you need to work on, and 
you know, if nothing bad has happened in a while, then it's tempting not to work on that habit. So uh, we need to try to find ways of making that, that habit, you know, our, our fail safe, our default, what we do automatically needs to be the safest way possible. And for those of you like me, we realize that we're, we're not always wired the right way. So we've got to rewire our brains in certain situations. And it's not automatic. It really isn't. Um, getting habit strength was something. I can't tell you how many years it took for me to get habitual with the seatbelt, but it took a long time. And I don't expect it to take that long, uh, depending on what habits that you have. But, you know, they say it takes, and I think I've even heard you, I may, may even be stealing one of your terms, Tim, but they say it takes 21 days to create a habit and 28 days to break a habit. But what they don't tell you is that is if you live in a perfect world and if all the stars line up and I unfortunately (laughs) do not live in a perfect world. So it may take me a little bit more than that 21, 28 span. But nevertheless, uh, again, making sure that we're focusing on committing to putting that effort into that habit and recognizing when we find those opportunities to self-trigger a little bit quicker and a little more thoroughly. And, and again, we, we, we have a lot more information on this that I'm probably you know, not being able to do justice with this podcast. So we are more than willing to get you more information on this. If, uh, if, you, if you have you know, a need to reach out to me via email or Tim or any of your account managers, uh, they're more than welcome to, to reach out to me or us directly. Keith, what is your email? Uh, my email address is keith.c at safestart.com. That's uh, Keith.c as in cat at safestart.com. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. Okay. So quick review for our listeners. And it's a very important couple of tricks of the trade here. It's important that you put these critical decision units in order because they build upon each other. So you got to start with one. You can't just start with three and move to five. Um, you have to build upon each other. So do them in order. Uh, critical decision unit number one is using critical error reduction techniques to prevent sprains and strains. Critical decision unit number two is mind on tasks, safety systems, and recognizing change. And uh, critical decision unit number three and four, they build up on each other. Uh, but EAU three or critical decisions unit number three is deliberate risk and error. And four, risk, error, and redundancy. And then there's five, like we said, a culmination of using Jedi mind skills or in our vernacular, being able to anticipate error. And then EAU six, the last one, that is complacency, other people and other states. So Keith, we're out of time. Um, Wow, that actually flew by pretty fast. Um, I'd like to thank you for sharing your expertise with our listeners today, my friend. And thank you. Thank each of you, all of our listeners, for additional information on these critical decision units or the review unit. Be sure to reach out to your account manager or email Keith um, and visit safestart.com. For Safe Talk with Safe Start, I'm Tim Page Barr. Keith, thank you for being here. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, man, you're a great guest. We might have you back. So until next time, stay safe and we'll see you down the road. 